Well, hi everybody. Good evening. This is Heather and you are watching the Midlife Best Book Club and you're also listening, if you are listening to the audio this week, to episode 95 of the Midlife Best Podcast. And I want to welcome everybody. If you're new here, thank you so much for being here for the first time. If you're returning, um, thank you so much for returning. And welcome to my mobile creation studio, which is also known as my car sitting in my driveway. And yes, I have my jacket on. I have the car heater on. I'll turn it down here in a bit. Um, and hopefully it won't make too much noise. I have my trusty um, headphones so that I can get the audio and and hopefully that'll turn out okay. So um, I'm just gonna mess with the camera here for a second and get everything adjusted. And there, I turned the heat down a little bit. So hopefully it won't be too distracting. It is 26 degrees, you guys, here in upstate New York. So winter is here. We got spoiled with about 65 to 70 degree weather. Uh, last week and they said this has happened a couple of times since the 1930s but it's definitely not common where it gets that warm in January but it was all a trick because now winter is really here and it's really cold again so anyway that's to be expected of course because it is that time of year um, so I'm in my car and I'm sitting in the driveway and this is the only place at this moment that I can get some peace and quiet to record without disturbing everyone else in the house. Um, and if you remember last week, my dogs kept making unnecessary appearances with their barking. So I just thought I'm going to come and I'm going to record tonight because I do have good stuff with this book club and I love doing it. And so sometimes we work with what we have and if nothing else, uh, as a teacher and as a mom, you know, these are the things that I practice what I preach because we always have to just work with what we have and uh, certainly don't have any kind of recording studio or a place that's perfectly quiet and distraction free all the time. So I do want to say that through the podcast, I've been getting really good and somewhat unexpected results. This will be the audio for episode 95 of the Midlife Best Podcast. I've been recording that for about a year and a half. It'll be two years this spring, late spring. And um, the interesting thing to me is that by doing the book clubs online, I didn't really expect that many people would also be listening on the podcast because I thought, well... I'm using the same content when I do book club episodes. I do other episodes also for the podcast, but lately it's been all book club episodes. And I also put those on Facebook Live and then I save those on Facebook on the Midlife Best Facebook page. Um, and I also put them on YouTube. So I thought, well, I hope that I don't lose podcast listenership because I have such a small audience anyway, but I would hate to lose them. Um, but what I found is that really it's been a consistent listenership. So even though it is small, I'm super glad that people are listening and I'm very grateful for that. And I thank you. And I was looking at my podcast statistics. And again, even though it's a very small audience, I am getting listeners from all over the place, even in other countries. And that's really exciting. And I don't know what it is um, that I might have to offer that people are, are not getting to hear other places. Uh, but in my own experience, 
especially this particular book, How to Win Friends and Influence People by Dale Carnegie. It is such a well-known book, but yet a book that I had not really ever studied. And I'd heard about it and I bought copies of it in the past and I bought the audio but never really listened to it. Partly, I think it just seemed like it was a big book, maybe intimidating. It is extremely content rich and it's not something that you can casually flip through. It, it really does take an amount of study and maybe for me, maybe I just had all these other things to read and I just kept putting it off. And so what I wonder, and I'd love your feedback, I don't know if this is true at all, but if, you, if it is true or not, post a comment or email me and let me know, uh, heather at midlifebest.com, by the way, for the email. Um, but what I'm wondering is this, are you the audience, whether you're American or from an, another land, or whether you're listening on the podcast, are you in the same boat that it was a book that you've heard about and always wanted to read, you always meant to read it, it's always been recommended, and you just never did. And maybe this is a way to push you into being accountable and to actually doing the reading. So I'm wondering if that's why people are interested in it and listening, um, because I was worried that my podcast would kind of dwindle, and it hasn't. It's been consistent, and people have been listening. So. I'm really happy for that and I'm wondering why that is and I'm glad because it's been fun for me and it's been a good experience for me to do the book club. Um, so what I'm going to try to do, I know the camera may not be perfectly steady as I almost dropped the camera. Um, I have a car mount but it's over here on the dash, you can't see it, but um, it just does not work for recording. I kind of need to have my camera in a certain place. so. I'm holding it. So um, anyway, let me grab the book. And today's episode is not going to be too long because this reading was not too long. And I said that last week that especially I've noticed in part three of the book, each chapter has been short, short and sweet, and really divided up into these little nice pieces in when we teach reading we call that chunking the reading you know into into bite-sized chunks but um they could have been longer because all of this material it really flows together it really meshes well and it's very congruent so throughout part three of the book i feel like everything has been um it, it has been well connected and so he does divide it into these small chapters um, but really, it's it's all connected thoughts, if that makes sense. These are all connected thoughts within. So um, to preview the part of chapter three that we're doing today, we're finishing chapter three, and then we'll be moving into, or sorry, part three, we'll be moving into part four. The chapters are nine, 10, 11, and 12. So last week, where we ended up was we finished the we had finished the first eight chapters in part three. And so 9, 10, 11, and 12 are all a pretty short amount of reading. And I want to remind you, I keep saying this every week, but if you are behind or you feel like you missed part of the book club and you're not caught up on your reading, that is fine. Because this book is not a fiction book. 
you don't have to read it in order. It certainly works very well to read it in order, but if you're not and you need to jump in, totally fine. You have my permission, even though you don't need my permission, and um, and that's fine. But I do recommend that you go through the whole book. So if you skip around, so be it. But chapter nine in part three is what everybody wants. Chapter 10 is an appeal that everybody likes. Chapter 11 is the movies do it, TV does it, why don't you do it? And chapter 12, when nothing else works, try this. Um, As a teacher, sometimes we feel like I'm doing everything and nothing's working. So um, definitely, I keep saying this book is so relevant to a teacher, to um, to parents, to teachers, to bosses, um, supervisors. I mean, this book is so relevant to so many jobs and and just different realms in life. But as a teacher, I'm saying, I wish I had read this when I went back to school for my teaching degree and got my teaching degree in midlife, because there is a lot that I can easily bring into my everyday teaching. And, um, and I can't say that I'm doing it, that I'm implementing things perfectly, but what I can say is it gives me a lot to think about in terms of how I handle different scenarios and different situations that come up on a day-to-day basis, including, um, I will have to deal with a couple of my classes tomorrow because I was working today. Um, but I was not in the classroom. I had other duties that I had to take care of that involved paperwork and testing kids and things um, of that nature. And so it wasn't in the classroom and I did not hear very good feedback about behavior. And so I will need to address that tomorrow. And so I was thinking um, as I was getting ready for tonight's book club and revisiting this content that, that I've listened to on audiobook. Uh, a week or so ago, and I was thinking, all right, this is another test of this material. How am I going to incorporate some of this material in the way that I handle the classroom, classrooms tomorrow um, regarding how the kids acted when I wasn't there? So chapter nine is what everybody wants. and um, And I really like a saying that he brings up in here and I've heard it so many times in life and I've said it myself there but for the grace of God go I and we all have to remember that it's so easy to be a backseat driver a Monday morning quarterback it's so easy to second guess everyone else and to think that maybe they made a bad decision or they did things wrong or we would do things better or differently but the truth is that given the circumstances, given the same situation, a lot of times when we look at someone else and and we really try to put ourselves in their shoes, we wouldn't make a better decision. We might not do anything differently. And, um, And so sometimes we have to be reminded of that. We have to remind ourselves of that very often. And so he talks about just how easy it is to be human and to make mistakes because we all are human and we all make mistakes. And what people really need in here is some some sympathy, some kindness, and some gentleness. And so what people really want a lot of times 
is for someone to at least part way be on their side. And um, we certainly have to remember and remind our family, our loved ones, that we all are on the same team. We're playing on the same team. It's not about win-lose. It's not about taking sides, which we so naturally tend to do. And I think a lot of that is, um, it's probably just ingrained in us. It's probably just human nature to get defensive. Um, but, But people need more than that. And we deserve to at least try um, to give each other extra consideration and extra respect. And so principle nine is really to be sympathetic with the other person's ideas and desires. Um, And he gives examples in here as he always does. This book is full of, of real life examples. It is not philosophy. It is not just theory. It really is what he has tried himself or had other people try and things that have worked. And so he gives examples, um, you know, everyone from a famous opera singer to just dealing with people in a hotel, um, you know, just so many things talking about a piano teacher dealing with her student and how instead of coming at people, it is much more effective to work with them and to be supportive and sympathetic. So that was chapter nine. Again, very short, um, but something that I think I, I have to figure out how am I going to incorporate this into, um, into my classroom. Chapter 10 is called An Appeal That Everybody Likes. And yes, I'm looking down at my book. So if you're listening to this, you can't see that. You may be able to hear me flipping pages. But if you're watching then yes, I know I'm looking down because that's where I have the book. And the way that I have my camera light that clips onto my camera, I can read the pages too. So the light shines kind of in all directions enough to where I can read. Um, he talks about in this one, in again, in, in winning people, this whole, um, this whole part of the book is about winning people to your way of thinking and how to do that respectfully. So principle 10 he talks about to appeal to the nobler motives, to appeal to the fact that people see themselves usually as very moral, ethical people. And most people believe, and rightfully so, I would say, most people believe that they're trying to do the right thing. And that when they don't do the right thing, that they have reasons for that. Not just excuses, but actual reasons. And so um, it makes me think of a lot of examples that he doesn't give in the book, but certainly our students. You know, if a child doesn't do what they're supposed to do, a lot of times they believe that they have a good reason. And adults do too. Now, I will say this as a teacher. um, We have had so many students and teachers sick the last week or two. It's been crazy. It really, truly has been crazy. We have had kids with fevers and sore throats and stomach aches and everything. The actual influenza, along with all kinds of other viruses and just, just crazy. So we've constantly been, um, I'm going to move this a little bit. We've constantly been sending kids down to the health office, to the nurse, 
And, um, and sometimes they go home, someone comes to pick them up. Sometimes they rest for a while, they come back to class. Sometimes, you know, they're sent back and, and they're fine. There's just a lot. There's been a lot going on. But one thing that I have learned is that the children should not have their heads down on their tables or on their desks, right? They shouldn't. They need to be engaged in their classwork. They need to participate. And that's important. And if we have administrators come in the room and they see a couple of kids with their heads down not doing anything, that looks really bad, to be honest. Um, but with that being said, administrators understand what's going on. And a lot of them are parents, too, in, a, in addition to being working in the schools. Um, but all that to say one thing I have learned is that instead of saying to the kid, first, pick your head up, pick your head up, what, pay attention, why aren't you working? Instead of that being the first response, a much better first response is to go over. And usually, even at this junior high level, and these kids are a lot of them taller than me, but the way that our tables are and our desks are, I can kind of kneel down and be more eye level with them at the level that they sit at. So a lot of times I'll do that and I'll put kind of my elbows on the desk and I'll kind of get like this, you know, right there and I'll say, what's going on? Or I'll tap the desk and say, hey, what's up? And I do that because I have learned that a lot of times something's going on with that kid. So as a teacher, sometimes we feel this pressure to push the kids and we should, we should push them to do their work. Um, but a lot of times something's going on and to be sympathetic and to ask them what's going on. Um, a lot of times they'll say, I don't feel well. And I had a girl last week who's normally really talkative. In fact, normally she's too talkative in class, but she had her head down and, and was literally doing nothing. And she just, I don't feel good. I don't feel good. My head hurts. Didn't want to go to the nurse, but she ended up being absent for several days and she was back today. And other students had told me that she had the flu. And so when I spoke to her today, she said, yeah, I was sick. I said, did you have a fever and everything? She's like, oh yeah. So my point in that is that everybody is human. And if we take that extra time and we go that extra mile, sometimes it doesn't pay off because sometimes the kid just doesn't want to do work or, you know, the employee just wants to get by with something or whatever that is. But this principle 10, um, so principle nine was be sympathetic. And now principle 10 is appeal to nobler motives. So we do that also as teachers. And those are, again, people want to do the right thing, but they think they have reasons often for not doing the right thing. So sometimes what you can do is say to them, to a student, for example, well, um, don't you want your group to get a good grade on this project? Don't you want to help your teammates out? Or your, your mom's really going to be looking for an improvement on this report card. This will, if you can, if you can get a high score on this project, it's really going to bring your grade up and your mom's going to love that. And I'll be sure to email her and tell her that your project grade is going to bring up your average. It's those kinds of things. But he talks in here, and I really like this example um, about John D. Rockefeller and how the newspaper photographers wanted to take pictures of his children all the time. Now, with today's paparazzi, I 
can't even imagine what that would be like. And back then, I'm sure they still had a lot of manners. And so what he, what he said to them, though, was not stop taking pictures of my children, leave my children alone. What he said to them, which is, again, appealing to their higher motives, bringing them out of their excuses or their reasons for why they wanted to get these pictures of these children in the newspaper. But what he said is, you know how it is, boys. You've got children yourselves, some of you. And you know it's not good for youngsters to get too much publicity. So he was appealing to them as parents or maybe as children of their own parents that, you know, you guys know how it is. You don't want to do anything that would be harmful to the children. Again, maybe in today's society, maybe things are a little bit different. I hope not. But, um, but I know that always appealing to someone's ethics and their morals might not be the right thing. But a lot of times, I think it'll still pay off. And so that was, um, that was the overview of, of this principle, this principle 10. He talked about bill collectors. Uh, actually, at one point, you know, bills that were just almost impossible to collect on, and they would have these conversations with the customers and offer them to review their bills and then pay what they thought was appropriate. And that most of the time, people would pay. Um, and sometimes they would pay kind of part of what they owed. But it was interesting because the traditional bill paying or bill collecting methods didn't work. But appealing to their higher motives and saying, well, I know that you're probably a very ethical person. And if you feel that this bill is wrong, that we didn't deliver on the service that we promised, then we want you to let us know. And then people would pay. And I just think that's really interesting. Um, Chapter 11 is the movies do it, TV does it, and why don't you do it? And this part is about really selling it and dramatization. He gives examples again in business about how sometimes when we're trying to sell our point or our product or convince somebody of something, we don't do a good job because it's nothing new and it's nothing different. So whatever we say goes in one ear and out the other. And yes, that happens in teaching. Oh yes, and in parenting. So he talks about conveying facts in a new way, in an interesting way, in something that'll grab their attention. And um, now I, I, I already know there's some pushback as a teacher to this. And I'm, I'm right there with you. So if there's a teacher who watches this and says, hey, we shouldn't have to put on a circus and jump through hoops and have you know flames and fireworks every single day just to teach basic information. Yes, I get that. I totally get that. And I understand it. I am not always going to put on a big show for students. But I will say this. If they understand why that information is going to pay off for them, then we'll get a lot more cooperation and participation. So recently we did some dissection of owl pellets. And if you don't know what owl pellets were, it went really well. The kids did a great job. Um, But owl pellets are actually, after the owl eats whatever it's going to eat, and they, they will eat other small birds, they will eat rodents, they will eat insects, all kinds of things. Um, The owl does not chew, they don't have teeth, so they will eat and 
digest as much as they can, but then they will spit back out these owl pellets. And that is the fur, bones, whatever is left over from what the owl has eaten. And it's actually super interesting to dissect. So when we have students do this, we have them pick out all they can find and then match up to a chart and try to figure out what did the owl eat. So it's some detective work. In some kids who are very reluctant to do book work or read in class or even fill out handouts or notes or anything, though some of those kids were the kids that were the most engaged and the most effective in this kind of a task. So no, we can't do that every single day. We don't have supplies and, and a, a way to do complete hands-on learning all the time. But if the kids understand that that is a task that we're leading up to, then maybe they're willing to do some of the background work or some of the research or some of the notes. So whether we like it or not, again, I said this at the very beginning when I started this book club, we are all in sales and we're all always selling something if we're trying to communicate with another human. What this is saying is dramatize and, and really what I think he's saying is, is sell it. So whatever it is, you, you may have to fancy it up a little bit. You may have to change your approach a little bit in order to get the job done and in order to grab someone's attention enough to, um, to be able to put your point of view out there, to be able to persuade. So principle 11 was dramatize your ideas. And I think that's something that we can all put into play probably within the next day or at least this week at work or at home. So whatever it is, dramatize it. Whether your kid is not eating what's healthy for them and you got to make it fun, um, whether you need more exercise and you don't want to do it because the weather's yucky, you have to incentivize yourself. You've got to dramatize it. You've got to you know, work it and make it sound good. And then people want to do it. And it's kind of as simple as that. You know, it's really a lot about the packaging and the bow that you put on whatever it is you're trying to present. And then chapter 12 and to end part three of the book is when nothing else works, try this. And this is real short. It's just a couple of pages. So when nothing else works, try this. And the secret sauce is competition. And he says, throw down a challenge. So he talks in here about people working in a factory and how he could, uh, they could not, the manager could not get them to increase their production. But in this factory, there was a day shift and a night shift. And so it was one of those things that the only trick instead of asking them or begging them or saying, hey, you guys need to increase production. The only trick was to kind of not pit, pit them against each other. I don't want to say it that way, but to definitely have it become a competition. And so I'll just tell you a little, I'm just going to look into the book. It was, and it was Charles Schwab and it was a mill they're saying, but so the way that they did it, um, Schwab asked the manager for a piece of chalk and then asked how many, um, it says heats. I don't really know what that means, but so 
how many did they do in that shift? And he wrote, he took the chalk and he just wrote the number on the floor. Nothing else. Didn't say anything to the workers, just wrote the number. So it was six, wrote the number six on the floor. And when the next shift came in, they see this big number written in chalk on the floor and they asked what that was about. And once they understood what it was about, they wanted to do better. And over days, what happened was production went up because the shifts were competing against each other. Now, I, it doesn't sound like there were any prizes or necessarily incentives for doing that other than bragging rights. But it's interesting to me that we do tend to have a competitive nature and, um, and that sometimes it will work. Now, I'll tell you, I'm caught on the microphone there. I'll say in the classroom that, excuse me, that sometimes I, I think there's a place for a competition, but I'm going to get a, a drink of water here. I think there's a place for competition, but I think in a classroom, we have to be really careful about that. We don't want kids feeling like they're losing in their education. However, I have done things like when we do test review, we do a test review game. There are some great things that you can do using technology. There's a program called Kahoot that's free to use, and the kids play a game to answer review questions. And I have incentivized that. So it's already a competition and I've given kids prizes. I have given bonus points, things like that. What I don't do is, so there's a carrot, but there's not a stick. In other words, I don't punish. I don't give anyone a, a, a bad score or I don't take off points or anything if they don't do well in the review. Because if they're there and they're participating, they're going to get something out of the review. And it's fun. So we do that and we don't punish, but maybe the top five get some bonus points. Or, um, but like I said, I have done some prizes and in small classes, it just kind of depends. If everyone is very invested and very participating, I'll do a little piece of candy or something like that too. So it, you have to, I think, be careful with competition. Um, but it, it is energizing and it is motivating. So there is something to be said for competition. There really is. And, um, and I think it's good for all of us to be challenged by our peers. And so if you are in a work environment where you can be cha- in any way, but where you can be challenged by your peers, that's going to make us better. Iron sharpens iron. Um, I know there's a, there's a men's mastermind group that this the leader of was a speaker at a conference that I went to. But that's what it's called, Iron Sharpens Iron. Because people strengthen each other and competition 
can bring that out in us, as long as, of course, it's done in a healthy way and um, in a good way. So that idea of strong minds coming together and pushing each other to be better, if both parties end up better, then I think that it was, it was valuable and it was worth it. So that is the wrap up of part three. So again, chapter nine is what everybody wants. Chapter 10 is an appeal that everybody likes. Chapter 11, the movies do it, TV does it, why don't you do it? And chapter 12, when nothing else works, try this. So it's all about respect. It's all about listening to the other person and having some sympathy. It's all about selling it and making it fresh and dramatic so that your communication makes its point, makes its mark. And it's also about maybe throwing in a little bit of competition to get people in this, this whole thing in part three is um, how to win people to your way of thinking. So very good, very rich content from the book this week. Now, where we're going next week is we're going to start with part four. Part four is different. Part four is all about leadership. So it's called be a leader, how to change people without giving offense or arousing resentment. So it's really about leadership and uh, certainly applicable to jobs, even if you are not the boss, because you can be a leader without having employees, without being the boss of other people. Even if you're new at a job, you can still be a leader by the way that you carry yourself, by the way that you handle your own behavior, your own thoughts, your own actions, and the way that you speak, and certainly the way that you would interact with other people at your work and with clients or the public or if you, if you have them. So um, leadership in a very broad sense, okay? So we're going to start that with, we'll probably do those first four again. It's a little bit more, but not too much because I'm finding that most of these are still going to be pretty short chapters. So chapter one will be, if you must find fault, then this is the way to begin. If you must find fault, this is the way to begin. Chapter two, how to criticize and not be hated for it. Chapter three, talk about your own mistakes first. And chapter four, no one likes to take orders. Mmm, food for thought. So, I would love to hear from you as I wrap up. I said before, it's so easy. Just email me. It's heather at midlifebest.com. You can find the podcast. This will be episode 95 of the Midlife Best podcast. And you can find that on most podcast platforms, including Apple, um, including Spotify, including Anchor FM, and uh, various other ones. And you can also catch the videos on YouTube if for whatever reason you're not watching it on Facebook Live or on the recording on the Midlife Best Facebook page. So with that, I'm going to wrap up for tonight. Thanks for joining me in my mobile creation studio, my car. And it's uh, pretty nice and warm in here now, but now I have to get outside and walk into the house and it's 26 degrees. So It'll be a chilly night again, but I hope that you're all doing well and that you have a wonderful week and I will talk to you again soon.